I'm your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I am here with uh, super UFO investigator extraordinaire and television star, Jason McClellan. That is not me. I have no idea who you're talking about. Yeah, that's definitely you. Okay. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Good. How you doing? Not too shabby. Mm-hmm. So, uh, do you drive around in limousines and stuff now? Um, I used to, but then I burned through all my money, and now I ride a horse. Oh, cool. Well, this is the Old West that we live in, so that's appropriate, I suppose. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, so, um, what I'm referring to, if people don't know, is a television show called Hangar One, which is about the secret MUFON files that are hidden away in a hangar in the middle of nowhere somewhere. Well, that's the premise of the show anyway. That's what they say. Yeah, so, and actually our guest today is Jan Harzan, the executive director of MUFON. So we'll ask him about this supposed hangar. Now, we know there's this hangar does not exist, right, Jason? I can't say anything about that. Okay, well, I'll ask Jan. But the, the thing is, if you watch the show, and it was on H2, which is like History 2, right? That is correct. It is History's second channel. Mm-hmm. And this hangar-looking thing is actually kind of weird. It's kind of a weird building. It looks like some kind of old um, European, maybe, hangar, because it's got these brick walls and everything. It doesn't look like what one would typically think of, I think, when you, when you see a hangar. Who knows? It's a hangar in the, uh, the Midwest, so maybe they have interesting hangars in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And when they filmed you, were you in this hangar? That's the magic of television, and I will not not discuss that any further. Oh, you won't disclose your location. I don't want to ruin your, your uh, imagination there while you're watching, Alejandro. Okay, cool, cool, cool. That makes sense. But uh, how it, were you... So there's one episode. Uh, did you feel pretty good about that episode, or what were your thoughts? Well, I wasn't in it very much, so I didn't yeah. like it at all. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm well, kidding. No, no, no. It, uh, yeah, you know, we shot that uh, a year ago, I guess. So it brought back some fond memories of sitting in front of lights in a cardigan sweater in a warehouse with no air conditioning in the summer. Right. So that was uh, very hot, hot, hot. Yeah, so it, it has been a while now since they filmed it. And, however... There's more episodes. How many episodes are there for for the whole season? There will be eight episodes for the entire season. So uh, one already aired on the 28th, and that episode you can watch it for free on H2's website right now. And uh, other episodes will air every Friday. Cool. And then you're going to be in more of it too, right? That's out of my hands. I should be. I shot all eight episodes. So Yeah, so... 
So if things go well, there'll be more Jason McClellan in the future episode. So cool. Well, thanks. Right. Thanks for sharing. Oh, um, my pleasure. I hope people enjoy looking at me. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, we're going to have Jan Harzan on in a little bit. Uh, we've got an interview with him. We're going to talk to him about his past and how he got involved with UFOs, which is actually really interesting, some great stories. Uh, we've had a couple interviews with him online on YouTube that are really cool, but we'll talk to him about that here on the show. And then we'll talk to him about the future of MUFON and some of the cool things that they have uh, in store that they're going to be working on. So it ought to be a lot of fun to talk to Jan. Jan was on the show um, also. Yeah, Jan was on there. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how much he shot. I'm sure he'll talk more about that. But, uh, yeah, yeah, he was was on the show for a little bit. And, uh, yeah, it was good to see him. He wasn't on too long, though. He got about as much time as you did. I think that's right. Yeah. And which is more than other stuff. I mean, look, we shot for hours with uh, chasing UFOs and... I got to say a couple things, and they barely showed us at all. And you shot a lot with the Kardashians. and Yeah, you had more lines than I had on that. <laughs> so. That's right. And then there's our our colleague, Maureen, who I know. Uh, is all over the television. So. Yeah, her show. She gets lots of airtime. Yep. Open minds represent. Yeah. So cool. So, of course, uh, before we go to the interview, as usual, uh, we talk about our favorite news items from the past week. And, uh, Jason, what would be your news item? Alejandro, I'm going to talk about a story we uh, published yesterday, and that is uh, about a UFO over Vancouver. This was um, an interesting bright ball of light that was recorded by an amateur astronomer in Vancouver up in Canada in uh, British Columbia. And this was recorded on Friday, February 28th. And uh, it happened in the at night, about 8.44 p.m., and this guy had uh, three different cameras set up because he apparently sees lots of things, and he's always scanning the skies looking for interesting things. So uh, he had three different cameras set up, and he was able to capture this thing. And like uh, most people, you know, we, we encourage people to do this all the time is uh, with objects like this, go to the wonderful and useful website, Heavens Above, and uh, see if there might have been a satellite or something in the area at that time that could possibly explain what the object was. So this individual did that. He went to Heavens Above, and uh, there was no, no satellite or anything uh, scheduled to be in the air in that area at that time. So he ruled that out. Um, he uploaded his video to YouTube, and he says that he saw more than a dozen um, objects like this in about an hour descend on the exact same area, and uh, some were flashing. Uh, but the interesting thing about this is it's moving through the sky, and you watch it in the video that we have at OpenMinds.tv. Um, you know, it's kind of moving very at a slow, steady pace. Um, through the sky, and very similar to what a satellite would do. But then toward the end, it it does something interesting. It it seems to kind of stop in one area and just kind of hover there. And satellites don't do that. Um, This individual didn't completely rule out the possibility of satellites. He entertains that possibility, but he says that that's the case because it's not on heavens above. It's not something that's uh, listed or scheduled. It would have to be a spy or an unknown some sort of satellite or, or space junk, but 
I said with the the movements that this thing did, that's probably not the case. And I agree with him. I mean, these things don't stop in the sky and hover. Mm-hmm. So what do you think it might be? I don't know what it is, Alejandro. It's mm-hmm. a mystery. A true unknown. Cool. Yeah, I, I think that's... Uh, it was posted on uh, Whitley Strieber's site, Unknown Country, by uh, his wife, Ann Strieber. And I forget what she described it as. I mean, that's almost the uh, the terminology she used, she, like a, a confirmed unknown or something like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's see. Yeah, a confirmed unknown. So that's what she's going with. I'll go with that as well. Cool, yeah. I, I didn't have time to read the story. I read a little bit uh, about the three cameras, so I'm glad that you shared the details on that. But I did watch the video. Yeah, it's an interesting and, video. It's yeah. long, and, you know, he used the three cameras. So we're seeing a bit of that. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the most interesting thing is where it kind of gets uh, lower on the horizon and then just stops. Well, and that's kind of fun because, actually, I posted one yesterday, too, which was also MUFON had determined as an unknown. They couldn't figure out what it is. So it's kind of cool. You know, we have so many stories where it is known or we're pretty certain what it is. But, yeah, yesterday people can go look at two stories of real unknowns, ones that we can't figure out. That's right. More exciting stuff. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, what was your story? My story. I'm going to have a story and a warning. Uh-oh. Yeah, that's kind of exciting, huh? A warning. I don't know. I'm a little scared. Yeah, and, you know, I'm going to do a story, a warning, and we have on the website an alert, a move on alert. People have to go to the website to look at that, though. The story I'm going to talk about is the Snowden documents because, um, of course, uh, this Snowden character uh, was a contractor with uh, the NSA, and he had... A lot, access to a lot of documents, and he has uh, been releasing those. It's been a big story. I'm sure everybody knows about that. But in his latest release of documents on a website called The Intercept, and this website was started just to track Snowden documents and to talk about Snowden documents, and these are journalists, journalists from NBC and other places that have put up this website. But uh He released a few documents. One of them is a PowerPoint from uh, an organization called GCHQ, which is the British government's communications headquarters. And they have this slideshow called The Art of Deception, Training for a New Generation of Online Covert Operations. And it's really interesting because it talks about, you know, things like false flag uh, projects, but these are like releasing information and claiming they're from someone that they're not to hurt their reputation um, and all of these these things you can do to um, influence people and manipulate uh, online. So really interesting. But it is just a slideshow, so we don't have the comments of the slideshow, so we don't know exactly the content of, of what the person, whoever presented this, was saying. But in this slideshow are three pictures of three UFO pictures. One of them is a famous one from Redbud, Illinois in 1950, and it's one of them that is more curious that people don't know for sure what it is. Um, Then there's a a video from Mexico from Arturo uh, Robles, uh, who we know 
very well. Jaime Musan's friend down in Mexico. Often what he films is balloons, and I think this video might be that as well, Mylar balloons. And then the third one is a story you wrote about, and this is a picture from Cornwall, England, uh, from October of 2011. And it very much, it just looks like a seagull flying by. And, of course, we've talked about this before. When people take pictures of birds, they often can look kind of strange because of the motion blur and stuff like this. And this seagull even seems to have captured mid drop droppings that are in the air still under it so uh, you probably remember that and then the slide directly after that one is of a camera uh, an iPhone you know featuring the photograph uh, tool and mm -hmm. then some wheels some round wheels like uh, hubcaps maybe referring to people could throw hubcaps in the air and take pictures of them and look like UFO I don't know what it's referring to so, I, yeah, I don't, uh, we have no idea why they included those pictures or what those are about. Of course, it's about deception, so it could be that just, you know, how things that are mundane can easily be seen as uh, something that it's not. Um, I asked Nick Pope about it, who worked for the Ministry of Defense as a UFO investigator from 1991 to 1994, and uh, he said something interesting, but it, it makes perfect sense. He says, while I left the Ministry of Defense in 2006, the Official Secret Act binds me for life. I am not able to contact or comment on intelligent matters, and I'm not prepared to discuss classified material that has been released without authorization. And, uh, of course, these are still secret documents. These were not released under, like, their Freedom of Information Act, so the government doesn't want this out. So, of course, as a retired government um, employee, he can't talk about things that are still classified, which makes sense. It does make sense. So yeah, that's kind of interesting. So um, I think some people have said, oh, look, people's predictions that there were UFO files in the Snowden documents came true. I think that's kind of silly because even if you look at um, the uh, WikiLeaks, you know, these are thousands of government documents there are people who report sightings and comment on sightings and things like that so it's inevitable that the mention of the the acronym UFO will come up so um, I don't think it's like you know confirms anybody's beliefs because these were not the object of the conversation here but um, uh, it is interesting and at least now you know what people have been waiting for is some kind of mention of UFOs in the documents, and now they have them. Do you have them? Do I have... What's that? <laughs> the documents, Alejandro. You are the gatekeeper. Well, it's online, so you can just click the link. We have the link where you can watch this PowerPoint. Yeah, and you're right. Those, those images are interesting, and it was... Kind of amusing to see the bird poo come back. Yeah. Do you have any um, speculation about what these might be referring to? The same speculation you do, and that's all we can do is speculate at this point. Yes. I think some people will be disappointed that Nick Pope said a whole lot of nothing, but like you said, I really think that's all he can say. So. Yeah, exactly, and it makes sense. Some people are, you know, saying, uh, of course, we'll read more into that. But uh, it, I think his response makes sense. Yeah, I do too. So the warning, I just want to mention just so people... Um, All right, I'm nervous can, about this. Yeah, you should be. No, it, it's nothing to be too too 
scared about. But it is coming up. And uh, so just to give people a heads up, uh, a UFO author um, has gone online. His name is Nigel Watson. And we wrote about him not too long ago because he did this Haynes Manual on UFOs. So the Haynes Manuals are a bunch of manuals on how to build stuff, how to build models, how to fix your car, how to do all kinds of different things. They've got lots of manuals, how-to type of stuff. And interesting enough, you know, last year they did a manual on UFOs. So he, uh, you know, wrote about the history of UFOs and everything. And the reviews have been pretty good, that it was a a pretty good book. And this gentleman in the UK, uh, which is where these manuals are made, uh, has written a lot about a lot of uh, other UFO things, including abductions and stuff like that. But uh, he was uh, somehow found on a website for drone hobbyists, people who have quadcopters and things like this, a something that was called the Big UFO Project, where a bunch of these guys have been soliciting people all over the world to all fly their drone helicopters with LEDs at night at, a, at the same time, um, on, they were going to do it on April 1st for April's Fool's Joke, but now they've changed it to April 4th. But perhaps now that their story's out, they'll change the date again. So he found that these people were going to do this, this big elaborate UFO hoax. And like he warned, you know, these things become huge. And lots of times, just like uh, the Canadian hoax we talked about, when people see it, they... Um, even if a mundane answer comes out, they're like, oh, no, that wasn't it. You know, it really was a UFO. It's not a quadcopter or whatever, even if the person who flew it admits to it. So if you see something flying around on April 4th or April 5th, actually, um, just be a little hesitant and be a little more careful. It could be one of these quadcopter clubbies flying around their little craft trying to trick us. And then again, Alejandro, it could be that they know about real UFOs coming then and they want to distract us and tell us to not pay attention because it's just a hoax. Whoa, that's heavy. There's there's my warning. Yep. Well, thank you for your warning. It's heavy stuff. Hey, you want to scare people? I'll scare people too. All right. Well, is there anything else you wanted to mention there, Big J? No, sir. That is all for me. All right. Well, thanks for talking some news for us, uh, with us, and um, let's go ahead and get to our interview with Mr. Jan Harzan. I am very happy to welcome to the show Jan Harzan, the Executive Director for MUFON. Hello, Jan. Great to be here. Thank you, Alejandro. Yeah, thank you. I'm so happy you could take some time out to talk, and it's kind of funny because, you know, you and I have spend quite a bit of time talking over the years, and uh, but I haven't had you on the show before. Yeah, uh, last time I think was at our uh, 2013 uh, MUFON Symposium. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're the new executive director. You have been since that symposium this summer, but I think a lot of people don't realize you've been with MUFON for a long time. Yes, I have. I've actually over 20, almost 25 years now. Wow. And a lot of that, well, what is your history with MUFON? Well, I originally uh, discovered that there even was a MUFON back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. I attended a uh, UFO Expo West out here in Los Angeles, a very nice conference that I didn't even know existed but uh, stumbled upon. And uh, one of the booths there was a MUFON booth, and so I came to know that MUFON actually was an organization that did uh, 
the study of UFOs, and that interested me, so I got involved and started attending the meetings up in Los Angeles, uh, and then later uh, joined the chapter in Orange County where I live, uh, which was started back in about 95. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you went on to run that chapter, is that correct? That's right. About a year into that, uh, the um, leader of the chapter at the time had to step down, and she asked if I would take over, and George Ann Seferelli appointed me as the new state section director for Orange County, and I ran it for the last uh, 18 years. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then at some point then, and a uh, few years ago, you also uh, joined the, the business board of directors for MUFON, uh, right? That's correct. Um, what, what happened was uh, we... Uh, ran our local chapter. I uh, had a number of nice meetings and different things we put together. Uh, we had a regular monthly meeting, and it came to my attention that the uh, symposiums, I started attending all the symposiums starting in about 95 as well. Uh, I've been to about every single one. I've had actually every single one since then. Um, they're a great opportunity to get uh, go out and network with other like-minded people, meet the MUFON hierarchy, and uh, just really do a great job uh, uh, listening to speakers and learning new things. So I found out that at the time, Walt, who was the international director, uh, was moving the conference around the country, and he would do it one year on the West Coast, one year in the Midwest, one year on the East Coast, and then one year in the, somewhere in the South. So he was moving it around, and I found out in 2001 he planned to run it uh, in the West. Uh, and so he would ask for bids for the conference. We don't really do it this way now, but... Uh, so we put in a bid and uh, actually won the bid. So we were, had the opportunity of actually starting in about 1999 to know that in 2001 we would be the, the host city for the uh, International Symposium. And we began putting it together, and it was a very successful symposium. Uh, and after that, Sean Schusler, who had just taken over for Walt after Walt um, retired after 30 years of running MUFON, uh, asked if I would uh, join the business board. And so I agreed to do that, and I've been on the business board ever since. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, you have been experienced and involved with the administration uh, with MUFON for several years now. That's right. And now you've taken over the, the head job. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> now it all comes to me. Yeah. yeah. So we'll talk about... Uh-huh. I was going to say, fortunately, we have a great organization, a lot of wonderful volunteers who... Uh, uh, do the bulk of the, of the workload here at the headquarters office. You know, we ma- we manage the memberships and we uh, make sure everything's running smoothly and, and the website and things like this. And of course, we're intimately involved in the symposium. Uh, although this year we're blessed to have uh, John Venturi and his team out in Pennsylvania running that, so it takes a little bit of the load off of us. But um, yeah, we're just it's a very very busy time for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll talk about some of the great ideas. Well, some of the things you've already instituted, which I think are great, you know, um, and the television show, which is running. But I wanted to talk a little bit more about your background because from um, uh, our talks earlier, you know, your motivations for not only your interest in MUFON, but your interest in the career you chose uh, stems back to uh, an incredible UFO uh, event, essentially, that you had yourself, correct? That's right. Uh, when I was uh, 9 or 10, my brother and I actually had a very close sighting of a, of a craft. Uh, we were within 30 feet of it, and uh, it, it really uh, alters your whole <laughs> understanding of the subject. It's one thing to believe that UFOs exist. It's uh, one thing to, to believe that ETs are out there, but it's another thing to see a craft. Uh, this was in our backyard, which 
interesting enough, is where most people see things, is right off the back porch or right off their, their backyard. And uh, it, it, it was uh, life-changing, let's just put it that way. Yeah. Could you, do you mind sharing kind of the details of, of that event? Oh, sure. I'd be happy to. Um, I want to start back with my interest in UFOs. I mean, when I was, uh, you know, young, uh, seven, eight years old, at that time, this was the early 60s, um, the newspapers, it was not uncommon to see a headline about flying saucers. I mean, they just published that all the time. And so um, my father had a men's magazine he would get. It was true in Argosy, and I believe it was in the Argosy issue. Uh, I read an uh, article by Donald Keyhole, and the uh, head of NICAP at the time, and he was just talking about the whole subject of UFOs. And what impressed me about the article was that this guy was a military um, uh, officer, and he spoke very elegantly and very forcefully about the fact that these things were real, that they're here, and that they needed to be uh, attended to. And so this kind of perked our interest, both mine and my brother, uh, Jeff. And so we started to uh, play around with it, and we decided, well, maybe these things have uh, some kind of a electromagnetic-type engine in them because they're obviously propelling off the Earth or doing some, something of that nature. So we just decided that we would uh, build ourselves a, a flying saucer, and we uh, designed this little 30-foot craft with three pulsed electromagnetic engines in it, don't ask me where we got these ideas. We just did. It just kind of came to us, and we uh, drew it up, and we said, okay, we're going to build this thing. Well, my mother took us to the store one day, um, and I think it was Thrifty Drug, and they had a little magazine rack, and we saw down in the magazine rack a little uh, magazine called the Flying Saucer Review, which was a half-size magazine. If you took a normal-size magazine cut it in half, um, would that make it about a, uh, eight and a half by instead of eight and a half by 11? It would be like a four and a quarter by, uh, you know, five eighths or something like that. So it was a short magazine. But in the magazine, there was an article in it that said, these flying saucers are seen around military installations, nuclear power plants, and places where anti-gravity research is being done. So mm-hmm. we looked at and said, wow, you know, we're doing anti-gravity research. We're building this craft. So maybe one of these things will come visit us. And we were just little kids at the time. We were just talking in his bedroom sitting on his bed. Um, well, about a month later, I was in my room on a Saturday morning sleeping, and all of a sudden my brother comes into the room. And he says, hey, there's somebody trying to break into my, my room. I said, well, did you look out and see who it was? He said, no, I didn't look out and see who it was. It was just 6.30 in the morning. So I said, well, let's take a look. So we went down to his room, took a peek. There was nothing there uh, that we could see, and I said, well, let's go out in the backyard and see. Now, this was about April time frame, right before the time change. In those days, daylight savings uh, happened in April. And... It was very, very light outside. And it, was just, it was very bright. Um, the sun was already up. And so we went down the hallway, and as we're walking down the hallway uh, of the house, I'm looking back at him, talking to him, and he says, look. And I spin around to look where he was looking straight ahead. And he was looking at a wall of windows. We had a, um, plate glass windows in the living room with white, white drapes in front of him. And the sun was coming in, backlighting it. And I didn't see anything. And I said, what, what happened? What did you see? And he said, uh, there was somebody standing against the window. I could see the shadow. And when I told you to look, they floated backwards. So I wow. Oh, wow. You know, I, I thought, well, he's just pulling my leg. You know, he's just, he's just trying to get my goat. So, because we would kind of RF each other and, and do things sometimes. So I said, well, let's go in the backyard and we'll, we'll take a look. So we went into the garage. And as we were getting ready to walk in the garage, that's where the kitchen was. There was a big clock in the kitchen. I noticed it said 6.30 on it walked into the garage, and then left out the back door into the backyard. And we walked to the end of the house and looked back towards his bedroom window where there was nothing there. So I'm thinking, okay, he's just, he's just, you know, this is his fun time. He's just 
you know, kidding me with this whole mm-hmm. thing. And so we turn around to go back into the house. We didn't take two steps when all of a sudden we look to the left and there's this craft frozen in the sky, 10 feet off the ground with landing gear on it, making this humming noise. Now, if you've ever heard of a transmission um, at nighttime, if you walk by telephone poles and the transformers, they kind of make that hum. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the kind of hum it was making. And it was just like frozen, like it was like just pasted in the sky, 30 feet from us, and um, bright orange, uh, like a tank, and these blue landing gear on it, four of them, and then black suction cups on the bottom landing gear, and then cr- brown crossbars on the uh, between the landing gear with like a bolt in the center. So my first reaction when I saw this thing was, holy cow, these things are real. My second reaction was, wow, this thing looks like it's man-made. Now, the reason I thought that thought was because I saw that bolt where the crossbars crossed. Mm-hmm. There's a bolt right there, like a scissors, almost like where it was a, it could scissor when it landed. Um, but then I started looking at the craft, and it was perfectly smooth. I mean, there was not a seam or a rivet or a nut or a bolt in the in the whole craft. It was completely smooth, almost like a ceramic. And this was about 1965, April 1965. So I think, I don't know that we even had that kind of technology back then, frankly. I mean, you know, we were riveting together airplanes at those days. So um, I said, wow, that's pretty interesting. So then next, my next thought was, well, I need to go get a camera. So I said to my brother, I'm going to go in the house, get a camera, I'll be right back. So I ran into the garage and turned to go into the house, and we had locked ourselves out. Now, I don't even know if that's possible, honestly, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I guess it could be. When we went out, maybe we just didn't unlock the door behind us. But I started pounding on the door as hard as I could, and uh, everyone in the house was asleep. So after a few minutes, uh, my older brother opened the door and you know, kind of said, "Hey, what's what's up?" And I said, "Nothing." I ran in the house, grabbed the camera, and ran back out. You know, because mm-hmm. uh, I didn't want to take time to explain to him what was going on. Because I figured we'd right. things. So ran out in the backyard, and my brother was standing up on the swing set, looking out to the west. He had climbed up on the slide and was like as high as he could get himself, looking to the west over a hill, which was to the to the west of our house. Our, our house was kind of down a hill, and it was gone. And I said to him, "I said, what happened?" He said, "Well, it just hovered there for a second." perfectly still, and then all of a sudden it started drifting to the west, and then out of sight, just shot out of sight. Yeah. And I thought, darn, you know, I didn't get a picture of it, but um, it was incredible, incredible sighting. I mean, it, it uh, really um, did a number on us, I have to say that. Yeah, amazing. And didn't you say there was something funny about the the, the uh, landing gear? Well, uh, well, the, the landing gear was corrugated, like the, it was like almost like a the dryer hose. You know, the corrugated hose goes in and out, mm-hmm. in and out, in and out. Um, and it was cobalt blue. So, so the craft itself was a bright orange, mm-hmm. which is cobalt blue, and then black suction cups. Wow. Um, and then these these crossbars were brown with a bolt in them. And so it was very, I mean, it was very ornate. I mean, it, it looked like it was painted. And it was kind of funny because I told this story to uh, Bill McDonald, who's a good friend of mine, and uh, his father at the time was the chief scientist for Rockwell out in Thousand Oaks, they had a think tank out there. And uh, his thought was, well, maybe it's something my, my father built. And I said, well, Bill, it's possible. I mean, I'm not saying it's extraterrestrial. I'm just saying it's a very strange craft. And it's mm-hmm. like but I said, why would they be testing it at 6.30 on a Saturday morning in my backyard? That doesn't <laughs> right. make any sense to me. Right? Uh-huh. So, but, uh, you know, I mean, I, anything is possible. All mm-hmm. I can say is I saw this craft. Wow, how weird. And um, so did you have a bit of missing time? Am, am I remembering that correctly, too? Or... Was there some discrepancy well, many, many, at the time? Yeah, many, many, many years later, uh, in talking to my brother about this incident, 
he brought up the fact that you know which which is true that, that my brother was not up my older brother was not up when we went out i mean he, mm-hmm. he was in bed asleep and yet when we went back in his recollection was my brother was well my brother was up i mean because he was watching tv so that was true when he opened the door for me he was sitting on the couch watching tv which is kind of strange because we just walked out and he was asleep and then i came back in knocked on the door to get in the house and he was up watching tv but my my younger brother who i was with uh claims that there was a tv show on and he named the name of the show. I don't know it off the top of my head, but he said that show didn't actually come on until 8 o'clock in the morning. So mm-hmm. it's highly possible there was some missing time in the thing. Although, I mean, people have asked me, do you think you were taken? I don't personally believe I was taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very very possible my brother was taken uh, because he has a very high IQ, and uh, he was actually the brains behind putting the craft we were trying to build together, so there might have been something they were trying to figure out about him. I'm not sure. How interesting. Maybe it, whatever you guys are building is... Uh a time machine, and you are visiting your younger selves from the future. <laughs> Maybe that's possible. I, I, you know, it was just it was just young kids stuff. We're trying to just, you know, we were always building little rocket launching pads. Yeah. And, you know, telephones. So we had a treehouse with all sorts of electronics in it that we built. So, wow. so we were always. And my brother was uh, very, very smart. At eight years old, he was fixing the neighbor's television sets and things wow. like that. So I, I don't know where he got that knowledge, but he always was far advanced in terms of being able to fix things and make things work. So, so and the electromagnetic engines you were using on your model, uh, was that were you attempting anti-gravity with your model UFO? Well, we were trying to create uh, the pulsed electromagnetic engines. We figured there was something it was doing, how they were interacting with each other. You know, interestingly enough, after this incident happened, we could lost all interest in uh, building this craft. So that's, hmm. that's another interesting um if you think about it, I mean, because we were going down this path to do this, and then all of a sudden this event happened, and all of a sudden we lost all interest in it, which is kind of funny. Yeah, that is weird. And so this event now then also influenced your career choice. Is that is that right? right? That's exactly right. I mean, because what, what what was apparent to me that the technology that this craft had, whoever's technology it was, was so far advanced that if we could figure out how to make it work, and how to back engineer it that it would just have incredible advances for mankind. I mean, here's a cra- it didn't require you know ramming air over wings to fly. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was hovering on its own. It obviously traveled at a very fast rate of speed. By the way, it took off from what my brother told me, um, and I've had other reports from other people on craft that have shot off into the space at, at enormous speeds. That you know, if we had this technology, we could really transform transportation on this planet. I mean. Um, which would be a good thing, because right now we're stuck with a combustion engine. Uh, not really stuck with it, but I mean, we, we've, that's pretty much our primary mode of transportation on the planet is combustion engines. And it seems like oil is a major contributor to wars on the planet. So if you had something else besides that, this might be a good thing. So I, I was looking from the technology advancement of it, the energy systems, the propulsion systems, just the whole thing, and I thought this would be a great thing to do. So... Um, I went to school to become an engineer to figure out how to build how to build this thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it didn't take me too many too many uh, classes before I realized that what we're being taught in our schools is not going to help us get to where this thing is. At. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I uh, I did finish up my engineering degree at UCLA, and after that I went to uh, work for uh, IBM. Um, and my thought there was that uh, a company with the size of IBM, with the, the research budget it has, which is five six billion dollars. A year might be some place that would want to look into this research, but you know, it's, again, this stuff is so far advanced that it's hard to talk to people about it and have them take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, all I can tell people is that, hey, look, I saw it, so I know it exists. So <laughs> sometimes when you know 
that something exists, it makes it easier to go figure out how to make make it uh, read up, uh, replicate it. Mm-hmm. And but I'm guessing, unfortunately, you probably have not had the opportunity in your professional career to to work on anything like that. No, I haven't. No, personally, because I I was in IBM in a sales and marketing position. I have had the opportunity to talk to two different senior vice presidents of research at IBM through my uh, my my work process. Um, you know, the, the basic answer you get is that's interesting. You know, we're we are looking at a lot of stuff on the internet. We're we're, we're following all this stuff. Um, you know, so if there's anything really to be known, we would know it kind of a thing. It's it's the old you know. Gee, if if, the, if there really were UFOs, they would have told me. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and you're uh, like, well, I am telling you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As I said, I said, I said, well, all I can tell you is I saw it, right. and I saw it 30 feet from me, so I, it it was real. Mm-hmm. You know, so use that as your as your basis. Um, yeah, I think our biggest challenge, honestly, in the whole field of ufology, um, I was going to write about this in an article here in the next month or two in, in the journal. It just it's just people's paradigms. Um, you know, it's our biggest challenge. I told uh, Stephen Greer back in the early '90s when he did the first disclosure disclosure project. I said, you know, this is great, Stephen, but you know, you, just because you share this data, I mean, same thing with Bassett's. Uh, uh, last disclosure project just this past year, which is, was outstanding. I mean, incredible mm-hmm. people up there on stage talking about what they've seen and with incredible, you know, uh, resumes. Uh, the problem is that the general public, I mean, we as humans have this defense mechanism, which is the ability to, to deny anything, even if it's in mm-hmm. front of our face. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I think that is our biggest challenge of getting this whole uh, planet on board with what's going on and, and trying to solve this whole mystery and, and get to the bottom of it is that people's uh, belief systems, uh, you know, paradigms, whatever you want to call it, uh, just uh, block uh, the ability to, to have major advancements. Mm-hmm. And what are your thoughts then on how we uh, shift those paradigms or, or somehow uh, help people uh, to include in their paradigm uh, this sort of phenomena? Well, you know, I think it's one person at a time, honestly, unfortunately, but mm-hmm. um, what we're trying to do through MUFON, and I know that you guys are trying to do through Open Minds, is just just put out incredible stories that people can see and touch and feel. I mean, we, we're we're a data-driven organization, so we get between 500 and 1,000 setting reports a month, you know, and we grill through those uh, with our volunteer field investigator um, organization, and it's a lot of work for people, but, you know, we get maybe 60% of that we find to be IFOs. Chinese lanterns, you know, rocket launches, balloons, uh, misidentified uh, aircraft. But, you know, when you pull through it, we still find that when we come from the other end, we look for the most extraordinary type things uh, happening. We find some very, very keen cases. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, we're trying to publish those on our new website and make them available to people to review. And so I think you have to you have to be open to, to looking at it. And, and not everybody is open to the subject of UFOs. Um, right. But... But more and more people are, and I'll tell you, the, the real believers. It's kind of funny is the people who all of a sudden have had their own sighting, right? And then they they flip immediately from being a total skeptic to, oh my gosh, it's real, I've got to go do something about it. Which I, mm-hmm. I I just I'm amused when I see that. It's great, I mean, to see people <laughs> change their viewpoint, but it's unfortunate that it almost takes a rock on the head to get them to to do that. Right. Um, also, your brother then did he go into aerospace engineering or a similar field? No, unfortunately, I mean, this when you have a close encounter of this kind, and I, I can kind of uh, 
see from a, an experiencer or even an abductee standpoint, I mean, this is really uh, shakes up your your worldview. It, it it turns you upside down. I mean, I, I think two weeks after this sighting, I was just totally discombobulated, for lack of a better word. I, it just, you know, you just your whole reality is shattered. I mean, you know, you're thinking, mm-hmm. well, I'm growing up in a, in a little community here. I've got the little house with the white picket fence. You know, everything's great. You know see, touch, feel, everything, everything's good, and all of a sudden something shows up that's completely out of your, out of your uh, worldview, and just shat- it just shatters it for you. Um, that happened for me. Uh, that, I turned that into driving to go to, to college to get an engineering degree to figure out how it worked, and then to go for uh, you know, a corporate career that would possibly lead to the discovery of this thing, and, and my own personal uh, involvement in MUFON. That's what drove me from my, from my brother and for many people it becomes so unsettling. Um, unfortunately, he got involved um, in, in drugs and alcohol, and he's uh, now recovered. But but I mean, it's just totally, I would say, destroyed his life. Oh, you're kidding! So the sighting had a major effect on him. Yes, I, I well, I believe it was because uh, he believes it's because of the sighting, um, and he wow. still has night terrors about it. So unfortunately, but but he's he's he's, he's a, you know functioning member of society and he's, mm-hmm. he's doing good he's doing better um but it, it didn't help his his life much i gotta say that well that's amazing and it's kind of interesting because uh, i i didn't know that part of the story so prior to this i thought wow this is a neat sighting whatever happened you know inspired you to move on uh, to go into to work for ibm and and be an engineer but then uh and now also to help run move on but I didn't know this other aspect where this promising, you know, extremely intelligent person, um, his career or his it was it was somewhat stymied from the event. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I think he he could have been. Well, I mean, he, he's still very uh, smart and very intelligent, and, mm-hmm. and basically uh, runs like a repair business for for fixing things. And um, he, there isn't anything he can't fix. I mean, he's just amazing that way, and he's never had any formal training in it. So I've always mm-hmm. asked him, you know, Jeff, how have you done this? And he says, I don't know. I just happen to. I just seem to know how things work. And so wow. I said, okay. So he's almost like a Tesla kind of guy, where he uh-huh. just, you know, kind of it comes to him somehow. And uh, um, you know, he's been doing very well now. I'm very uh, proud of him, and, and uh, you know, he's helped out with MUFON in certain cases where I needed his help, and, and just hoping uh, it continues that way for him. Yeah, wow. Yeah, incredible. So that's really interesting. Another uh, interesting story, because we have this on the website where we, we did a video with you talking about this, and I've heard you talk about this uh, um, for years, but I just wanted to kind of uh, have you tell this story here because uh, we get a little more time to, to kind of get the details of it, which I think are interesting. But uh, your story of this encounter you had with Ben Rich. Um, right. So I was wondering yeah. if you could share that. Sure. I mean, the Ben Rich story is basically, I, I'm, I'm an alumni of the UCLA School of Engineering, and they, they have an association called Bolter Associates, which I belong to. Um, basically, it's, you know, you, you fund, it's an annual fund for the school, and you pay so much money, and then you become part of this thing. So to, 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 to honor and just to um, basically continue to uh, uh, recruit people for this uh, function, they, they put on quarterly or you know twice a year functions and one of the functions they had i got a mailer in the mail was that uh, ben rich would be speaking at the uh, at ucla uh, to the engineering alumni i believe it was march 23rd 1993 if i remember correctly um and so i got i got the notice in the mail and i said wow that's like i gotta go hear this guy talk you know he's just recently retired because the 
president and CEO of Lockheed Skunk Works, where all the secret aircraft are built. That sounds like fun. So I called up my friend Tom Keller, uh, who, interestingly enough, I'd met at the uh, um, UFO Expo West, where I had my first UFO conference I'd ever gone to. And we decided we'd go go to this together. He's He also had been a graduate of UCLA School of Engineering, but 10 years before myself. Um, I graduated in 1976, and he graduated, I think, in 1966 or about there. So we went to the conference, uh, the, the meeting. There was about 200 engineers there. It's a, you know, a little kind of reception, and then uh, we all took our seats. Uh, Tom and I were in the front row, if I'm not mistaken. And Ben started off on this lengthy slideshow. You know, remember this is 93, so he was doing slides of, of all the craft. He started off with the U-2 spy plane all the way up through the F-117 stealth uh, fighter and uh, talked about a whole bunch of different aircraft, you know, and it was a really nice presentation. But at the end of it, he he concluded with a slide of a black disc zipping off into outer space, and he said, we now have the technology to take E.T. home. And that's a quote. That's exactly what he said. And then he stopped, and the whole crowd bust up laughing. And Tom and I are looking at each other like, why are these people laughing? They mm-hmm. just said something very significant. Um, but uh, that was it. I mean, that was the end of the talk. And then he... he uh, did some polite Q&A, and then after that, most people started following out of the room where about, I'd say, 20, 25 of us gathered up to the front where he was, and we started talking to him. And so we were, we were asking questions like, what, what did you mean exactly when you said, you know, take E.T. home and this and that? And he, he was a little bit coy. He was looking at the people around him trying to figure out who they were. Um, at one point during the regular uh, presentation, he actually mentioned that he saw a couple CIA people in the audience, which I thought was interesting. Um, and uh, he basically shared a couple thoughts with us. One was that uh, there was an error in the equations, and we figured out what it was, and we now know how to take ET home. So he wouldn't. We asked him. I asked him point blank, "What, what equations are you talking about?" And he wouldn't tell us. I'm thinking it's uh, either uh, Maxwell's equations, which are the equations for electromagnetic theory, or possibly um, some of Einstein's equations. Um, but he, he wouldn't tell us. So that was the only clue he, he gave us. Um, and he just he also shared, I guess, when I was walking out of the room, I kind of jumped to the end here after after probably about 30 minutes of these people talking to him and asking questions. Um, I chased him out of the room as he was walking to his car. And uh, I was still inside the room, but I chased him across the room as he was walking out to his car. And I said, Mr. Rich, Mr. Rich, you know, um, I just want to say I really enjoyed your talk. Uh, I have a real fascination for what you spoke on the propulsion side of the thing. Can you tell me how this propulsion works that will take us to the stars? And he looked at me, he looked at me like, who, he kind of cocked his head, like, who are you? I mean, I could, see, I could see his brain clicking, you know, why are you asking me this, who are you? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, let me ask you a question. He said, how does ESP work? And I was like, I was flabbergasted. I was like, like two, took two steps backwards. So I wasn't expecting a question. I was right. expecting an answer. And so the first thing that came to my mind, and I such just a strange question. I said, well, exactly. I, I said to him, I don't know. Uh, I said, all points in space and time are connected? He looked at me and he said, that's how it works. And he turned around and he walked out. <laughs> now, I don't know if he was saying that all points in space-time was the correct answer or if he was just saying that ESP is how it works, but, but it's interesting to me that that tie-in, um, how people have foreknowledge of things um, and how things are all tied together in the universe has something to do with how this propulsion works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really strange. Definitely makes you think. It makes you think and... You know, I've talked to Hal Kudoff and other scientists about this um, who have been interested in knowing how, how it works. They're trying to 
figured out now. Eric Davis, you know, who works for Hal, um, and the faster they have the faster than light uh, plan where they're trying to come up with engines that'll allow us to travel faster than light. Um, it's just a whole lot of interest in it. I was pleased to hear, um, I believe it's Golden now, uh, is the new director of NASA, talking about how NASA's big push is, is faster than light travel. And, and I thought, wow, that's pretty amazing that he would even be talking about that. Here Ben Rick was talking about it 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Wow. Actually, us, us have actually having it. So that's, that's, that's an interesting thought when you start putting two and two together on it. Yeah, which is interesting. I mean, they, they Ben Rich worked on uh, the most secret Air Force projects, CIA projects, uh, and uh, those things didn't come to light until so decades. Much, much later. Yeah, exactly. much, much later. So who well, knows? Well, the other, the other interesting thing here is that, that stealth technology, um, if you look at the development of stealth technology, the ability to be invisible to radar, the way that breakthrough came through was there was a Russian mathematician who had some equations, which the Russians didn't really pick up on, but, but the skunk works had mathematicians working for them who did, and they realized that, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, if you build a craft that looks like this, it won't be visible to radar. And that's how they came up with the design for the F-117. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, that's interesting. It's almost a similar story to this one, which is okay if you want to fa- travel faster than light. It's all in the mathematics. So they looked at the mathematics and figured out what the air was in it, whatever that might be. It fixed, you know, fixed the air, and that allowed them to figure out how to travel faster than the speed of light. Mm-hmm. Uh, or let's put it this way, it allowed them to figure out how to take ET home in better right. words. Right. Wow, pretty amazing. So let's talk to MUFON, and, and uh, now that people have gotten to kind of know more about you uh, and uh, your vision for the future of MUFON, and you certainly, we've seen it, I think, as a MUFON member, I've seen uh, the changes, uh, which have been great. And I guess one thing we could first talk about is the TV show, Hangar One. Sure. So um, just aired, uh, of course, uh, our Open Mind colleague here, Jason McClellan was in it, and uh, yep. so we were all excited about it as well. But uh, I guess just to clarify a couple things, they, the actual hangar does not exist, right? No, no, the actual hangar does exist. It's a real hangar. Well, um, but it, is it a MUFON hangar? No, it's not a MUFON hangar. However, okay. it's, it's located, I mean, there's no secret to this, it's located at Lunkin Airport in Cincinnati, which is where uh, Dave McDonald, my predecessor, had moved headquarters too, and there are actually three hangars uh, on the airfield: hangar one, hangar two, and hangar three. <laughs> and uh, we had stored all the files in hangar one. So oh. this show, yeah, this show, when it first uh, we signed the paperwork on it was back in 2011 under Clifford Cliff. So uh-huh. this has been a project that's been in, in, in work for over three years, uh, yeah. and so gone through a number of different ups and downs. And, and then uh, was ratified in late 2011, and then uh, Dave took over in early 2012 uh, when Cliff had to step down due to some family medical reasons. And uh, it actually expired, and then he resigned a contract in 2012. And so when I came in late, um, or mid to late uh, 2013, this project was well underway. In fact, they had already done a lot of filming on it. Um, so... Uh, that hangar was where we stored our files. They thought that they took pictures of it, and then actually the network said, "Hey, that's pretty cool. Let's call it Hangar One." So that's how I got the name. Oh, that's well, that's kind of cool. So there, there is a Hangar One, and is I mean, is it the same hangar as in the the show? Or yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you're you're looking at exact, you're looking at the hangar. You're yeah. kidding! 
I did not no. know that. It's a really interesting looking. It looks old. Well, it is. It was built back in the 20s or 30s, and uh, it has some interesting history behind it because uh-huh. uh, Howard Hughes used to park his plane in there, and he would meet his girlfriend. I think it was Jean Harlow. I'm not really a, a Howard Hughes buff, but but uh, and they would they would meet in that hangar. Um, so it's, it's got a lot of a lot of history to it. Holy cow! That is so interesting. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. But they, how about the interior shots? No, those are done somewhere else. Uh, the interior shots are done somewhere else, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. we, we. Yeah, we. You know, it's it's. You know, it's a it's a TV. <laughs> yeah, they take liberties. <laughs> they take liberties, and you know, we we originally had started off wanting to be about the the, the um, just following investigators around, and unfortunately, the network looked at that and said, you know what, with the UFO hunters and all these other shows out there, they're all the same. You know, we need to differentiate ourselves. So let's pick some topics and then see what we can find in the files to maybe substantiate stuff. So that's kind of been what it's been about. Um, we're hoping if we get another season of this thing, we can actually move it back towards the uh, actual cases. But um, I think the topics they've chosen are, are pretty uh, good ones. I mean, you know, U.S. presidents, what they know. I, I've, I've talked to a number of people who are not particularly – you know, keen on the whole UFO subject, and after they saw the episodes, they said, "Gee, I didn't realize that." You know, I didn't realize that this had happened. I didn't realize mm-hmm. that Truman had said that. I didn't know that. You know, Kennedy had done that with Brezhnev. I didn't know that. You know, Reagan had actually seen his own UFO, and, and all this stuff's documented, but it just doesn't get to the public. So, it's more of a public awareness program than anything else. I mean, I, I would love it to be about uh, just loop on investigators with a great job to do because they do work hard every day on on on. But you know, most people won't watch. <laughs> A UFO investigation case because they don't tend to be too exciting, frankly. I mean, they're they're pretty. Well, I don't know. I guess, but I'm biased. I mean, yeah. like you know, Mufon had a show several years ago that was like that, and I thought that was great. I thought that was a really cool show. Um, but who knows? We're not producers, huh? Well, well, it was a good show, and and it didn't get picked up. <laughs> yeah, never, exactly. We, there were three three uh, pilot shows done, and and right. it never got sold. Yeah, so, exactly. So that, that tells you, yeah. And so it's all about, you know, can you sell a show? So, yeah. I, so yeah, the, I, I, mm-hmm. I was just going to say the presidential files. Now, those aren't necessarily MUFON files; they're investigations that MUFON people have done. Um, is that correct? Like, for instance, John Ventry says uh, MUFON has in its files uh, eyewitnesses to the Eisenhower extraterrestrial meeting. Mm, is that true? Well, we do. Well, we do have files on that whole event that happened from multiple sources. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, from Lynn Stringfield files, from from newspaper clippings, from we just put out a re- news release uh, last week or week before about a TWA pilot who called us. Who, you know, he was the first hand witness. He was, but he but he talked to the first hand witness who had, who had uh, seen the event or heard heard about the event. Um, we we also have. Um, Recordings from you know Frank Strange's and uh, people from the, the past. So I mean there is there is plenty of documented evidence in the files. Mm-hmm. Now it's, it, is it an actual case file where a MUFON investigator went out and talked to the president of the United States? No, it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that there is evidence to back up the, the stories. Okay, gotcha. Cool. So yeah, yeah. when do you think there are or have you had any people saying? Uh, uh, in MUFON, wait a second, that's kind of not uh, our kind, our case files. You mean, why are we 
putting our case files on TV or what? Or no, you know, like the, with the presidential cases, that's not really a case file. Have you ever ha- have you had any backlash in that way with a show? Well, so overall, the, the the feedback's been overwhelmingly positive. Cool. I mean, would we prefer to have you know just our, a, a specific case that we did highlight? Absolutely. And I had a conversation with the producer yesterday. Say, so, you know, we'd like to steer it back that way if we can. I mean, but to get something on the air, get it sold, um, it's either, you know, <laughs> you have to kind of roll with the punches on some of this stuff to, uh, otherwise you're not going to make it on the air. It won't, mm-hmm. The show won't go. So the one thing I do like about the show is that it's different than other UFO shows. So it's going to take topics, and everyone's going to be different. So it's going to be completely different. There's like UFO hotspots in America. There's going to be like Star War weaponry. There's going to be different shows on different topics, and they're going to try to use case files and, and, and actual citing reports to kind of tie back into, is it possible that maybe this is something that we used uh, to uh, develop and get to where we are today? So it's, going to, it's basically going to make people think about the whole UFO subject and how it has impacted us uh, as, as a human species. So I think that'll be a good, good way to go. Um, I think people will like it. Um, we'll see if there's a second season or not and then uh, where that goes. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Yeah, it seems to be popular so far. I mean, I just, because uh, people have been asking us about it, you know, especially with Jason in it. How do I watch it? How do I watch it? And I went to the H2 site this morning to get the link, and uh, it showed it as the top of the most popular uh, shows being, you know, viewed on the H2 site. Yeah, it actually was the number one show for Friday night, which is kind of amazing since Ancient Aliens has been their number one show up until this point in time. Wow. Cool. Probably because it's. It's probably because it's a, a new, something new. Mm-hmm. People want to see something new. Um, so, so hopefully that will continue. Uh, and yeah. we're pleased with the response. It's been a very positive response here at headquarters. Mm-hmm. Speaking of something new, your website, which looks great. I mean, I think this Thank website you. is uh, really awesome. I think it's, it's definitely befitting of a, of a serious, uh, you know, professional organization which MUFON is, so uh, are you, I'm sure you guys are pretty happy with it. Well, yeah, d- definitely. It's three years in the making, a lot of hard work by a lot of people. Um, I, when I took over in August, I grabbed a web designer that I had used for our symposium, and I asked him if he could take the work that had been done up to that point in time and kind of improve upon it and actually come up with the graphics. And uh, his name's Ryan Silverberg. He's an outstanding art- artist and uh, uh, brander is what his, his real forte is. And he, I think he puts together a very nice site, and it's going to continue to change and evolve. Um, we're really just trying to make it easy for people to get information and get links to things that they need, particularly the citing reporting data, um, but also just general articles on different topics. Uh, so I think we've got you featured in there, even Alejandro. So All right. It's, um, <laughs> so it's um, hopefully will be a research uh, tool for people. The other thing is to help people kind of identify what they've seen. We're going to work on an IFO section that's under under works um, because a lot of times people see stuff and if they go to the website and they say, oh, this was a lenticular cloud and that's what it looks like, that's what I saw, or you know, this was a Chinese lantern, oh, that's what it looked like when they're going up in the sky. And, mm. You know, we want to kind of help people identify what they're seeing in the night sky because you know, you're not always out staring at the sky, and so if you see something extraordinary like the International Space Station go overhead. I mean, the first time you see it, it might startle you and say, oh, my gosh, there's a UFO. But it's just something very, very common. So we're trying to cut down on the number of, of reports of things we get that are just IFO-related. Mm-hmm. 
Something else you're doing, uh, which is really cool, and this started, you know, I think a few months ago prior to the to the website even coming out, but now you can find this stuff on the website, is uh, highlighting what a UFO uh, case of the month, and then uh, like you did an alert recently where you will send out information on, on a particularly important report. Is that correct? That's right. I'm trying to, uh, from a communication plan standpoint, we have about 38,000 people on our constant contact list. And so on um, the first week of the month, I am trying to put out the, uh, and this is all being done by me, so I got, I'm looking for volunteers who know how to do this stuff, so I can <laughs> offload some of this stuff. But uh, I put out the, the CMS statistics. So case management system is our exciting reporting system, which is available to anyone who can go in and search it. Um, and we just give them a snapshot of here's how many exciting reports came in, here's where they were seen, here's kind of what they looked like, you know, from a shape standpoint. Um, we may add some more more detail to that uh, as we go. Um, and so it's a, it's a quick blast, just letting people know, okay, you know, in France we had three reports this month, you know, in in the uh, state of Colorado we had 27 or something. So it's it's just a snapshot. And then I follow that up um, two weeks later with the case of the month. And what I've done is I've asked our director of research who, who piles through all these things with a team of people who call through them to try to come up with our top ten for the year. Um, just give me a case. You know, it's an interesting case. And so we've had a couple. I think there was a boomerang case, and we had um, uh, another uh, interesting case that we've sent out, and those will be coming out every month. So I'm just trying to, I'm trying to get people to know, hey, UFOs are happening. They're not They're not. Because I get this question all the time, like, gee, I haven't heard anything about UFOs in a long time, so are there really any anymore? <laughs> yeah. Of course there are. We get, we get 500,000 reports a month. Yeah. And I wish I could tell you those are all uh, extraterrestrials coming here from another planet. They're not, you know, but but a lot of them are very, very interesting cases um, that with some extraordinary things happening. So we're trying to put those out there to people. Just give them the, give them the broad brush here, here's what came in the last month, and then give them a, here's a, a case of interest. Uh, that, that hopefully we'll draw them to the website and mm-hmm. have them go do some more research because we all have other cases. Um, we've got the newsroom now on the site. Roger Marsh is providing most of the content to that. We're looking for other people who are writers to uh, part- participate in that. We can link back to your other sites if you're blogging right now. Um, we're just looking for credible stuff that people can put up there and people can go research and review to see what's happening. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so it's um, it's coming together. I'm I'm pleased with it. It's just it's you know it's like we're on this treadmill and the treadmill's speeding up. So. Right now, I'm in a dead heat run trying to keep up with all this stuff. Right. Well, it's cool. I think what all of these things is are big deal. I mean, for someone like me who's been a MUFON advocate for a long time, a member, investigator, everything for a long time, you know, and people are always asking about what about MUFON this, what about MUFON that. It's awesome to be able to. Um, it allows us, as, as people covering this stuff, when you all send that out, to write a story on, on you know, what you send out, and then uh, to demonstrate that MUFON is very active and there's a lot going on, getting a lot of reports, um, and uh, to show people, well, here's you know what they're doing, here's what's going on. Yeah, absolutely, and, and any help you can give us in that regard, we really appreciate. It. Or anyone else who's listening, um, you know, we want to be more open. We want to be more uh, forthright with what's there. Um, there's really nothing to hide. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, MUFON, MUFON is just, we're the data collectors for the world, and we're just trying to make that available to anyone who, who, who needs it or wants it. Or, um, and just trying to change, like I said, one, one, one mind at a time through, through hard factual data. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, people, you know, you've got a long, wide spectrum of people, everything from the nuts and bolts, you know, scientist type who, if it doesn't, you know, he can't feel 
touch and see it. It doesn't exist. All the way out to the, yeah, I call them the crystal people, right? I mean, they, so it's mm-hmm. the, the psychics and the and, and some. So I always say MUFON is kind of left of the center. You know, we're closer to the scientific types. We're looking for the hard data. Um, but we've got to realize there's a lot of people out there with a lot of different views and insights, and we're trying to at least accommodate some of those other viewpoints and let them uh, have their time. Mm-hmm. Well, and you mentioned abductions and, and abduction research, and now I think it's a common miscon- misperception people have out there is that MUFON isn't interested in that sort of thing, but you even have a director in charge of abduction research. and Absolutely. Kathleen mm-hmm. Martin, and she's the niece of uh, Betty from Betty and Barney Hill. She's uh, been a chief investigator on that whole case and um, does a wonderful job for us uh, with her team of uh, associates, uh, Craig Lang, um, I'm just I'm picking states here, but I believe he's out of, out of Minnesota. Craig Lang, and um, we've got uh, uh, Don Dundere, who's a professor, a retired professor out of uh, McGill University. He used to work with Bud Hopkins, and a number of other people on our team. You can look at it on the website. Just go to uh, who we are, and then the drop-down menu has abduction research team, and click on it. And we actually have an abduction uh, questionnaire where people can take uh, answer the questionnaire, and, and they will score it for you and tell you based on the questionnaire whether how likely it is you were an abductee, um, you know, from a from a actual scientific waiting standpoint. So, um, and then we also provide a lot of uh, services in terms of helping people find um, therapy because you know, people who've had these experiences, like I said, for some of them, it's a very terrifying event. It, it really disrupts their lives and makes them so they can't almost can't function, <laughs> unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And uh, they need help and they're reaching out for help. Or, or sometimes they just need to find other people who have had similar experiences that they can talk to because when they talk to their family, they don't get a whole lot of empathy. It's like, you know, they're, they're ostracized. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, we, we are very much interested in the abduction phenomenon. We're trying to approach it from a scientific standpoint. Mm-hmm. We also know that people uh, want help, and uh, we're help, trying to provide that for them through a referral um, service we provide. Mm-hmm. And then one more thing I want to mention, just uh, another cool feature on the website to get people to check it out is uh, this UFO photo of the week that is also going up there. Really interesting because people are so visual, um, they want to see pictures. <laughs> exactly. You know, that was my biggest complaint about our last website. We didn't really have anything visual on it. Mm-hmm. So I've asked the team you know, to pull a picture every week out of our CMS database and post it on the site. So I've actually got to, you've reminded me, I've got to get on that and make sure that happens this week. <laughs> um, but over time, then, we'll have the whole collection of, you know, 50, after a year, we're going to have 54 photos up there that are... Right. Um, now, we can't guarantee that every single one is, a, is an alien craft. But what we can do is... Uh, with our photo analysts and different things, we can determine that photos haven't been been altered. Uh, that you know that in fact it's something of, of significance to view. Um, after a, a major investigation, it may turn out that what was posted uh, turns out to be something uh, very terrestrial. In which case, in which case, we'll let them know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're just trying to get the word out there, and I think you're right. People are visual, and I think that's kind of the stuff that they like to see. Cool. Well, right off the bat, I mean, there's a ton of information at this website, so anybody um, who hasn't been to the site can go there and stay busy for a few hours, I think, reading and, and looking at information. Yeah, absolutely. We've got videos posted. We've got uh, articles that have been posted. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to have a lot more coming up on the website. It's going to be this constant flow of new information daily on it, so you want to go back again and again. So just go to MUFON.com and, and enjoy 
Well, this is cool. It's exciting. I mean, your efforts and the website and then Roger Marsh always writing about the sightings, um, it, it means there will be a lot more, a bigger flow of information out to people about what you guys are up to. And I think really that's what people have been uh, interested in and uh, and now they're they're getting it in abundance. Um, not that they weren't getting it before, but even more so now, which is really exciting. Yeah, and, and I think that's what people have been requesting, like you said, and and uh, we're hoping to deliver. All right, great. And then uh, people also, other things that uh, are going on, I guess the symposium uh, will be coming oh, yes, up here our too. symposium, absolutely. That's coming up uh, July 17th through the 20th at the Crown Plaza in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. You can click on our website on the right-hand side homepage. There's a little TV set. Click on that, and you can get the speaker information and all the where, when, what, why's for the for the show. And we're looking forward to having uh, hosting all of you there in uh, July of this year. All right, great. Well, thank you so much. I think we're pretty much out of time, but thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, really interesting stuff, and uh, it's really exciting, uh, everything you. going on with MUFON right now. Yes. Let's talk again. Thanks, Alejandro. Yep. Thank you. Take care. All right. Thank you to Jan. And, of course, you can go see MUFON uh, and their new website at MUFON.com. Really cool website. And they've got a lot of information on there now for people to go look at. And uh, it's a great website. They needed a new one. And uh, whoever put that together did a really, really good job. So go check it out at MUFON.com. And, of course, for the latest UFO news and the news that we talked about earlier in the show, you can go to OpenMinds.tv. We also have our YouTube channel that you can check things out there, including Spacing Out. And there will be a new episode of Spacing Out, I believe, later this week. So uh, you'll be able to check that out. Of course, that's where... Jason and Maureen talk about all of the UFO news on, and uh, it's a video web series that we have. So openminds.tv to find all of that. I also, as usual, want to thank the people who put together our music, and it's actually just one person this week, and that is Caleb Hanks. Uh, he put that opening music together for us um, specifically. But he also does his own uh, music, and he's put out an EP. I talked about this earlier, but it's pretty cool. Caleb has given me permission to play songs from that EP at the end of every show, which I want to do because I think they're really cool. I think he's done a great job putting these together, and I think you all would really like them. So you can go look for the EP. Just go look for the clerk, Caleb Hanks. You could Google that. Uh, I'll put the link up on on uh, the radio site, but uh, we, well, we already have a link up there, I'm pretty sure. But um, this song that we're going to play at the end of the show today is called Vision. So I guess it's Caleb's vision of the future, and you wouldn't know it, but Caleb is so serious in this music, and and you know it sounds like you know he's he's getting into some deep topics and stuff, but he's actually really goofy. He's a goofball. He's sillier than I am. Super silly guy. Super cool guy. But anyways, check out The Clerk. Um, we will talk to you later. We'll be on next week with Patty Greer talking crop circles. So we'll talk to you next week, people. Adios, muchachos. Mm-hmm.